Hello and welcome on The Barricades. This is your most exciting weekly political show delivered to you by Eastern European journalists, activists and academics. My name is Bojan Stanislavski. I'm one of the hosts of that show. And today we've got uh, some very, very special edition for you because we're going to be talking to uh, Stanislav Bischok, uh, a person who is a political scientist and uh, an analyst uh, in uh, who, who's based in Russia. And we're going to be, of course, talking about the situation that develops, that unfolds before our very eyes in this most sanctioned nation, I suppose, in world history. And we're, of course, going to have uh, the usual co-host of the show, Maria Chernat. But before uh, we actually start uh, today's edition, I want to make uh, a few uh, household matters, so to say, clear. First of all, I want to say that we are available on uh, YouTube, which is our basic channel. You can find us there easily. We also have audio versions of our podcast available on SoundCloud and Spotify. And uh, this is where you can, uh, you can find us. And also, we are, uh, we are running a Substack account. So Substack is a place uh, which is uh, in, the, in the internet, which is not perhaps very well known in Europe. So just let me tell you that this is a place where we put our uh, articles and our podcasts. And uh, every time we come up with an update, you, uh, if you subscribe to that channel, you receive an email and it makes it easier for you to follow uh, our our publications. So we would like to kindly invite you to, uh, if you haven't yet, to please go ahead and subscribe to our Substack channel. And also uh, the Substack uh, environment, so to say, technologically allows uh, us to host the audios and the videos uh, that we produce here directly there. So uh, we, in this sense, we are independent of YouTube, Spotify, and, and SoundCloud. And uh, I think it's very important to make that clarification now vis-a-vis uh, -vis the kind of uh, censorship, uh, drastic censorship moves on the part of the big tech giants. Uh, we, of course, hope that uh, we are not going to be censored, but one never, uh, one never knows. So uh, it, the very last household matter is that except for YouTube, except for Spotify, except for Substack and except for you know, SoundCloud, we are also available on the Canadian por video portal called Rumble. And uh, there you can uh, find all of our episodes, basically, pretty much from the very beginning, from the very start of uh, this uh, project, of this show. We're into the fourth episode, right? Uh, sorry, fourth uh, season right now. And uh, yeah, that was it. Thank you very much. Uh, please don't forget to also subscribe and uh, hit the like button, perhaps, uh, regardless of which portal you're watching or listening to uh, our program from. It's very important, not so much uh, because we want to be super popular or anything like that, but because uh, the algorithms of those platforms then are more likely to suggest to some uh, some some uh, other people uh, that are not following uh, our channel to actually familiarize with our content and to become part of our community. Thank you very much. Don't go anywhere. On the Barricades starts right away.
All right, hello and welcome again. So just to remind you, we're here with Stanislav Bishok, who is uh, a Moscow-based political analyst. Uh, he's got a PhD in political science. Uh, he's a frequent commentator on uh, the Russian media. And uh, we, of course, have the usual co-host of the show, Maria Chernat. Hello, Maria, and hello, Stanislav. Hi. 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 Okay, Maria, so uh, the mic is yours. Okay, so we've seen uh, quite a few events recently. And um, now the most pressing question, I would say, is why? Why did it happen? Because we live in a society where, luckily, I think progressives and I think also the media, feminism, everything made it very unlikely for people to be prone to war. Nobody expected it. And I would say it has to do with the general cultural and political uh, context. And yet, and yet we saw this military adventure at one side of the fence is called the liberation mission. On the other side of the fence is called an invasion. And uh, for all I know, it's a tragic event, no matter how, um, what kind of words you use to package it. And uh, everybody's asking obsessively, I, I would say the same question, why? Why would Putin decide to embark on such uh, a dangerous and such controversial, problematic, and tragic in the final aftermath military adventure? Well, first of all, I should say that uh, I and uh, all of uh, the people I know in Russia were appalled and stunned on the 24th of February uh, when uh, Russia indeed launched this military operation in Ukraine. Because prior to that, we knew, we saw that uh, the Russian army concentrated a lot of forces on Ukraine's eastern border and also on its western border in Belarus, because, you know, Russia and Belarus are allies. But uh, all of my colleagues, me included, believed that uh, this was just part of a muscle game, so to speak, playing muscle or uh, some kind of... Uh, an approach to coerce uh, Kiev uh, uh, to begin direct talks with the breakaway republics of Donetsk and Lugansk. And at the same time, uh, this, this was sort of uh, a, 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 an exercise in psychological warfare, uh, which aimed at uh, making Americans more, uh, uh, more open and more receptive to the uh, Russian uh, demands for uh, 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 for accepting its uh, security concerns, so as uh, not to uh, not not to uh, extend the borders of NATO eastwards, uh, uh, having Ukraine as a NATO member state. So, uh, first of all, of course, I felt as a political scientist, I felt uh, a complete, let's say. A complete disaster of my uh, analytical abilities because I just couldn't predict that uh, this would uh, this would be a, a real large-scale military operation. Uh, but uh, to my defense, I would say that all my colleagues 
were at the same boat with me. So uh, everyone failed to predict uh, it uh, coming. Uh, so, and one of the reasons uh, I personally failed to predict it coming because uh, um, uh, as hard as I try to be, you know, neutral and detached from what's going on, uh, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I try to avoid using uh, the, uh, the words us and them when referring to international relations. So it's not us against Ukrainians or Americans. Uh, it's not ours and theirs. It's the Russian Federation and Ukraine and the United States, et cetera, et cetera. And I am completely detached. But still, uh, these, uh, the, the recent events show that uh, I have some, I don't know, some part of my brain which uh, was saying just one, one phrase, we cannot do it. We cannot do it. It's impossible we can do it we cannot do it so it's once again we're all we're all human after all and uh if uh if i may return to your initial point about uh, putin's uh, agenda and his calculations well the the fact of the matter is that he really when he says that uh, uh nato and nato uh, advance eastwards uh, constitutes a, a vital threat uh, to to Russia's existence. Now we see that basically he believed what his what he said and all his statements uh, about like uh, uh, about the lies from NATO that it would not advance eastwards not not one inch. And his uh, articles uh, about the Russians and Ukrainian and Ukrainians constituting. Uh, one nation. It was not just an exercise in, uh, in in writing like stories or op-eds. It was really on, on his mind. And now we we just uh, we just see that he meant it. And uh, this this whole operation, obviously, one of the key uh, rationales uh, which uh, uh, which are uh, stated by Putin and by the Kremlin that it was a, a preemptive strike. Because in a couple of years, maybe in five years, uh, without this strike, Ukraine would become part of NATO and uh, uh, American uh, military uh, equipment, all these rockets and whatnot would be installed uh, in Ukraine. And it would, would be uh, more difficult for Russia to defend uh, itself, uh, having this uh, military, uh, in, uh, NATO military infrastructure, uh, infrastructure in Ukraine. So it was... Uh, it was from from this point of view, it was a preemptive strike. However, uh, once again, uh, I know that uh, generally speaking, in the West, in Ukraine and elsewhere, it, it is not considered to be uh, something. I mean, uh, to, to be something uh, uh, preemptive and to be uh, something justified. Just uh, if I may, just concretize it uh, or maybe specify it a little bit. I, so. That's pretty much also my reading of the whole situation on the, you know, on the very kind of superficial uh, or maybe the very general level, I should say, is that the calculus was the following. Okay, so they've got like tens of thousands of advisors, mercenaries, uh, you know, army, regular army from uh, train trainers from NATO and stuff like that. The British are building some kind or were building some kind attempting to build some kind of naval military base or something like that. Then they've got like a lot of NATO equipment and all the rest of it. So, you know, this kind of NATO, NATOization, I don't know even how to put it, but the kind of NATO-fying of Ukraine was, was happening, okay? And uh, 
that, that's exactly, you know, that was, that was my thought that, okay, so they're looking at it and they're thinking, and I don't know whether he was put in himself, perhaps you can tell us a little more about it, mm-hmm. how this decision-making mm-hmm. process uh, occurred there. Because uh, for me personally, as a, you know, as an observer of the Russian situation and as a person that, you know, I can read Russian media and stuff like that, so I can at least follow the flow of, of emotions and news and, and commentaries in Russia to some extent. But, but you know, to me, it, it, it didn't appear that, you know, it, it was just Putin himself, you know, deciding that, okay, I'm going to go and take it down now, because if I take if I attempt taking it down in five years, it might as well be impossible and, uh, and, and, and could become extremely costly and uh, so on and so forth. So, yeah, but, you know, I mean, is it even possible that he was doing it just by himself? I mean, there's still a, a large yes. bureaucracy, a large bureaucracy mm-hmm. in 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 Russia. You know, uh, civil bureaucracy, military bureaucracy, and also there's this international context of that, which I'm sure you know had to be taken into consideration. And you know, I don't want to repeat the points that were made on many other channels uh, multiple times already, but I think it makes sense to mention it here. You know, according to your analysis, according to your observation, uh, you know, to what extent it was agreed upon with some uh, international factors like China, I don't know, maybe Iran or... Mm-hmm. So that's that's my... Yes, sort of, yes. Sort of... And, and uh, Boyan, you read my mind because especially in Romania and uh, especially the, in all sorts of places where you have a very huge media hype around this, they all say, oh, Putin is to, blame, is to be blamed. Putin is to be blamed. I just read recently that Facebook is allowing hate speech towards... Putin and it's allowing people to encourage uh, uh, those yeah. who said that Putin should die. Yeah. Well, well anyway, we might we might me, get to that a little later. Yeah. And this is why I I, uh, I said boy I read my mind. It seems like there are a lot of people organizing there. It is not like just you take Putin out and uh, everybody is happy afterwards and everything is solved. Yeah, I, I want to talk about this uh, kind of emotional, very, I would say, bizarre and unhinged reaction on the part of the West, particularly on the part of the European nations. But that we can uh, perhaps talk a little later. Yes. I would like you, yes. Stanislav, to please focus mm-hmm. on the question of, of, you know, the decision-taking process now uh, itself. How do you think it unfolded? And if you could also point out, when do you think? And again, it could be a speculation. I'm, I'm, I'm not asking you to, you know, read someone's mind in, in the Kremlin. But to, to tell us, like, when do you think it was it was established? Like, when, when do you think the decision was kind of taken or the possibility was at least acknowledged that, okay, we're actually going to be going in? Well, it's a top secret indeed. Uh, uh, some say that, uh, I mean, uh, these uh, uh, the conversations be, uh, between Vladimir Putin and the members of the Security Council were not uh, at an exchange of opinions, but more like... Uh, 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 just accepting the decisions that have already been made uh, uh, by the Russian uh, president, and if we, if you look at the uh, uh, at the Security Council meeting that was held on the twenty first, uh, just to clarify here, just to clarify, Security Council for people that don't know, we're not talking about the UN Security Council here. We're talking about the Security Council of the Russian Federation, which is pretty much the executive branch, so to say, of the of the Russian government. Yes, indeed, and some say it's it's there where all uh, basic yeah. uh, the general decisions uh, for uh, of of Russian internal and uh, foreign policy are made. And if you if you look at this. Uh, uh, at this um, at this meeting, you do not see any uh, any one uh, person 
who would uh, advise against uh, recognition, the independence of the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics. And also, uh, of course, those people knew what would come next, but nobody said that uh, it would be it would have like negative consequences for uh, for for Russia generally speaking and uh, uh, it's uh, uh, for me as a, as a political scientist and as a citizen it's uh, uh, it, it just uh, shows that uh, the effects on the ground and the uh, the real uh, the real uh, uh, opinions of the Russian people are not directly uh, uh, represented by the Security Council or by the uh, State Duma, for that matter, because uh, in four four days after the launch of the operation, so on the twenty eighth of February, uh, there there was uh, an official opinion poll published. Uh, so opinion poll made by a, a government agency. According to this opinion poll, uh, seventy percent of the population. Uh, uh, were for these uh, military operation uh, in Ukraine, 20% uh, were against and around 10% were undecided. So mm -hmm. my question as a, as a political scientist and as a Russian citizen, where are these 20% who are against the military operation and who were against the recognition, the official recognition of uh, the independence of Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics? Where are these twenty percent in the Security Council of the Russian Federation, mm -hmm. in the uh, State Duma of the Russian Federation, uh, in the uh, in other branches of of, of government, in in the uh, Federation Council, uh, etc. So that that's how that's how we operate. So uh, okay, if I if I may just jump in here. So what you seem to be suggesting is that uh, there there are certain deficits of representation, and that's not unique to Russia. That really happens throughout, like the, every like throughout the world, really, uh, in terms of like the the kind well, of uh, electoral yeah. electoral mechanisms. But but you know, I, I, and I, I you know I don't want to downplay it. I think it's a it's a, it's a thing to to you know rectify and and so on and so forth. But then. You know, I, I want to ask it perhaps a little more directly, like from everything that you said so far in response to the question, uh, to my question, it seems like the opinion of the president and the strength of his figure in the Russian public arena seems to be so strong that it's probably intimidating even to some extent certain voices that could be in other conditions, perhaps even heard in the Security Council, in the State Duma, and so on. So, so do I read it correctly, or, or, or uh, are you hinting at something else? Well, I, I agree with your assessment, actually. Mm -hmm. So uh, some would uh, ask whether it's fear or belief. Mm -hmm, so fear mm -hmm. of Putin or belief in his assessment. Well, it could be both, actually. So, mm -hmm. I mean, th these, these ideas are not mutually exclusive. And if we say about the lack of public representation, well, once again, uh, there are different lacks of public representation. 20% mm -hmm. is, is a lot of people. It's big. It's right? big. So yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, Moscow plus St. Petersburg. So central cities are obviously more liberal and more opposition than, uh, than the rest of it. And, uh, you know, uh, also as a, as a political scientist and some, somebody who knows a, a bit about history about Thucydides and the Peloponnesian War, actually mm -hmm. what we're seeing in this uh, chain of arguments uh, uh, for this uh, preemptive strike uh, is actually a, a textbook example. Because mm -hmm. according to the, uh, to the Russian official, let's say, line of argumentation, uh, 
Ukraine was getting or have been getting for for uh, for eight years at least more and more militarized. Uh, it, it it has been getting more and more uh, military equipment and uh, advisors and whatnot from the West. So it would be uh, for Russia, it would be uh, uh, just a, a rational choice to 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 make this a preemptive strike so as to not uh, 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 so as to not let Ukraine get uh, strong enough, let's say, to try to uh, to take Donetsk and Lugansk by force or to attack uh, Crimea, because uh, in the Ukrainian constitution there is a clause, a new clause, saying that Ukraine would do anything it can to uh, take back Crimea, which is a Russian territory, according to Moscow. Yes, mm -hmm. that's on the one side of it. So uh, Ukraine was getting more and more militarized, and it was a calculation by, by the Kremlin that it would be uh, smart to to strike first, right? But according to certain like Western and 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 uh, and Ukrainian uh, commentators and analysts, uh, it was exactly the lack of funding and the lack of. Uh, of uh, military equipment sent uh, by, by the United States and, and others to Ukraine that provoked Moscow to strike because their calculation is is different that we uh, uh, gave the, that we gave uh, uh, not enough uh, military uh, equipment and and etc to Ukraine and, and this this uh, vulnerability of Ukraine that what uh, made uh, mm -hmm. Moscow uh, mm -hmm. attack because uh, it's it's easier to attack a, a target who is uh, uh, not uh, uh, not prepared enough to uh, so the Ukrainians the Ukrainians yes. seem to be saying that uh, th there was a, a lack of decisiveness on the part of NATO or in the part of the West, or collective West as the Russians like to uh, uh, to use this phrase so th there was not enough decisiveness so they didn't go into they didn't NATO fi I don't know how to how to put it really NATO fi Ukraine fast enough. And this is why uh, Russia has has stricken. Is is that exactly? So it's it's not. So I, I'm speaking about like uh, uh, direct military equipment, etc., uh, etc. Et so because uh, uh, if if we compare the military shipments uh, in the Trump era and in the Biden era, actually, yes, there is a a little decline. Of uh, military uh -huh, uh, sent uh, uh, during the Biden period, and so some uh, analysts in the West, especially, uh, they uh, uh, interpret this as a as something that provoked uh, the Kremlin to uh, to launch this military operation. So it's you see, it, it's a it, it's a just different narratives, but uh, for 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 a, for a lay person, but for a political scientist and for for a guy who who wrote the Peloponnesian War, it's a textbook example. It's called. Uh, uh, in, in political scientist, in, in political science, it's called security dilemma. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for example, so for for your uh, viewers, uh, it's you know when you are a state and you want to uh, increase your security, so you you get more uh, weapons from abroad or you produce more weapons, but your neighbors or your neighbor whom you're afraid sees what's going on that you're getting stronger and the uh, your uh, your neighbor uh thinks that uh you are getting uh this uh new military equipment to attack this uh this neighbor and so this neighbor begin begins his own uh rearmament and mm -hmm. so uh, it, it, it so it's it, a spiral it, is that what you're yeah it, it's a spiral and uh 
it's, it's a matter of time when one or the other uh, strikes first. That's, that's the security dilemma. So uh, you want to uh, get yourself more secure, but in the end, in, uh, in, in one or two iterations, you find yourself uh, more vulnerable because your, uh, your neighbor is, has gotten <laughs> more strong than you after, after he began his uh, rearmament process. I want to weigh in and I want to ask right now, what's the situation? Uh, we had a brief conversation on the email and also before the recording, because you said that the 20% of, of the Russian population that does not want to go to war and does not embark on this uh, military invasion of a neighboring country, uh, they are not represented. And uh, I heard that not even that they are not represented, but right now uh, the Russian authorities prepared a law saying you could spend 15 years in prison if you don't support or if you falsely report on a war on the Russian army. Can you tell us more about uh, that? Well, to the best of my knowledge, as of today, there were maybe maybe two or three persons who were fined some sums of money, considerable sums of money, but not something unbearable. So nobody uh, has been arrested or uh, jailed uh, for anti, let's say, anti-war effort activities. So uh, in Russia, you, you do not uh, need to uh, support uh, the war effort. So, and you would not be fined or jailed for not supporting something. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the new piece of legislation is very vague because uh, you can get like up to 15 years for like uh, consciously spreading disinformation. Yeah, obstructing war effort, that's the English translation at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, which, which led to uh, negative consequences, uh, something like this. So it's, it, it's very vague and nobody knows what it is. However, uh, as a person who reads uh, uh, like Ukrainian and who watches uh, Ukrainian uh, TV and uh, reads their uh, telegram uh, uh, news from, from Ukraine, from that side and from those who support Ukraine in this, in this crisis, uh, it, it's true that like every second message is a, is a complete, like is a complete, piece of fake news. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's getting debunked, like pretty much, I'm sorry, I have to weigh in because this is just something that we're perhaps going to be, uh, you know, talking all, uh, about a little later on or in the second or third segment of our program. But, you know, this is this is really uh, amazing. I mean, everything that gets out of Ukraine, you know, gets, well, not everything, okay, but like a large portion of, of the things that get out of Ukraine, they just get debunked within 48 hours maximum. Yes, like, yes, yeah. but I would just like to know more uh, about this this law because it it seems a little dangerous. Even if it's vague, it can be interpreted in many ways. So there were people, maybe they were arrested for protesting. We saw that, but you say that uh, you haven't gotten to the point where you get arrested for writing that you don't support the war. Yeah, but I just want to make one correction here because I was following this kind of arrests and police repression and everything. And according to the to even the Western media have to admit that those people were not arrested; they were detained and then they were let go. Like after I don't know amount certain amount of hours, you know, at the police station. Uh, I don't know how long the detention uh, process procedure uh, could take in, in Russia, but they were not arrested. So like, there's a difference. Uh, you so know, were, you were detained for protesting the war, but how about this law? Uh, I mean, uh, if you 
say you write a political commentary where you criticize the Russian army and the Russian administration, do you risk going to prison? Is that so bad right now? Well, uh, uh, Maria, I think that uh, the uh, the fact that this uh, law was uh, written in vague terms, it was done on purpose, obviously, uh, so as to make sure that there are a lot of people who are who are just afraid to criticize something uh -huh. related to this military operation. So it's 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 not uh, it's not made as this this vague uh, so as to I don't know to to arrest anybody who is. Uh, are critical towards this war. And once again, uh, you know, I feel, well, somewhat safe just because I'm a political scientist. I, I do not know the facts on the ground and I, frankly speaking, do not want to know because uh, generally, well, uh, every war, I mean, you know, you know this saying that the first casualty of war is the truth, mm. right? The truth. So yes. uh, now we are all living in the fog of war situation with the disinformation coming from many sides. Okay, so, and uh, for example, uh, the other day I was asked by an American, uh, an American uh, journalist about why do Russians uh, attack uh, nursing houses yeah. and kindergartens mm -hmm. in Ukraine? And I answered that, uh, uh, I hope we don't, uh, but still I, I cannot comment on this, not because I'm afraid of anything, but because I'm a political scientist. And political scientists, I mean, real political scientists, they do not, uh, uh, they, they do not comment on, on, on things why you bomb this or that. It's, it's not mm. up to political scientists to decide. And I hope when and if this uh, military operation uh, uh, stops, and I hope it, 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 will, uh, it will be like in the, in the nearest future, when this fog of war disappears, then we will calm down and then we will like figure out what happened in this area, that area, and who is responsible for this or that uh, unfortunate situation uh, in which uh, not only military personnel, but unfortunately, uh, regular people uh, got hurt. Right. Okay. So I'm going to use this uh, <clears throat> at this moment to jump in here and we're to announce that we're going to go to a hard break. Uh, and uh, in... Uh, minutes we're going to begin the recording of the second segment of that program and uh, for the end of this segment i just want to thank you and remind you all uh, to please hit the subscribe button and all other buttons regard uh, depending on which platform you're listening or watching us on and to go to our patreon page patreon.com slash the barricade see you uh, in a very short while <laughs> 